0: You'll find here a helpful liberal, religious, and philosophical reflection that encourages you to journey through life, making footprints rather than blueprints. Welcome. Living lovingly in hypernormal times. A short thought for the day offered to the Cambridge Unitarian Church as part of the Sunday service of mindful meditation. Last week, Drawing on a poem by Mary Oliver, In the immediate aftermath of the earthquake in Turkey and Syria, I brought you a single religious naturalist thought to consider, namely, that the earthquake must not be thought of as the sharp sword of God, but instead as simply another wild body loving its life. As a whole, my piece was directed at encouraging us to continue to display a love of life through the material movements of our own wild bodies. And, despite how it initially develops, today's short piece also concludes by centering once again on the importance of love. So... This week, as the news and our heads and hearts continue to be filled with distressing reports about how people are attempting to cope with the terrible destruction all around them, I want to consider how fault lines affect all of us, whether or not we live in earthquake-prone areas of the world. To introduce the basic idea I have in mind, here is Robert Walsh's poem Fault Line. In his poem, Walsh uses the word floor, F-L-A-W. But I realise that those of you listening without the text in front of you may hear the word floor to be spelt F-L-O-O-R, as in ground floor. So no, don't go there. He means F-L-A-W, floor, as in a fault. So here's the poem. Did you ever think that there might be a fault line passing underneath your living room? A place in which your life is lived in meeting and in separating, wondering and telling, unaware that just beneath you is the unseen seam of great plates that strain through time. And that your life, already spilling over the brim, could be invaded, sent off in a new direction, turned aside by forces you were warned about but not prepared for. Shelves could be spilled out, the level floor set at an angle in some seconds shaking. You would have to take your losses, do whatever must be done next. When the great plates slip and the earth shivers and the floor is seen to lie in what you trusted most, look not to more solidity to weighty slabs of concrete poured or strength of cantilevered beam to save the fractured order trust more the tensile strands of love that bend and stretch to hold you in the web of life that's often torn but always healing there's your strength the shifting plates the restive earth your room your precious life They all proceed from love, the ground on which we walk together. Although, as always, I recognise you may disagree, it seems incontrovertible to me that one of the major fault lines upon which we're all living today is that which runs straight down the middle of the neoliberal project that has utterly dominated our lives since the late 1970s. As many of you will already know, promoters of the project claim that by relying solely on market mechanisms, by promoting individual over collective rights, and that by reducing the role of the state to the absolute minimum, it is possible to create a society that both maximises individual freedoms and radically improves economic growth and prosperity it's important to realise that a key central idea of the project is that all that is good and valuable in society is somehow calculable in monetary or numeric terms. And in turn, this has meant that our civic discourses are often framed almost entirely in terms of, for example, commercialization, privatisation and deregulation. It is this latter idea, by the way, that makes this a subject entirely appropriate for a liberal minister of religion, like me, to speak about. This is because, in liberal religious circles, the basic measure of all that is good and valuable in society is not money or numbers, important though they may be at times, but love and compassion. Also, in liberal religious circles, civic discourse is primarily to be framed not in terms of commercialisation, privatisation and deregulation, but in terms of community development, mutual benefit and solidarity with and accountability to each other through the wise employment of regulation, whether expressed through formal legal standards or locally agreed informal bylaws. Anyway, as all of us can now see, and many of us are now also viscerally feeling through our squeezed wages and pensions, poor employment conditions, the rising cost of food and energy, the collapse of key public services such as social and healthcare, public transport and so on, the neoliberal project is beginning to judder very disturbingly. To some of us, these judders have long suggested that they may be the foreshocks alerting us to a potential major main shock from that neoliberal fault line running right underneath all our rooms. But despite the warning judders, it remains astonishing to me how so many people within our society continue to carry on as if nothing is amiss at all, this ability has a name, hypernormalization. But you may ask, what precisely does that word mean? Well, here's Brandon Harris introducing the word to readers of the New Yorker magazine on November the 3rd, 2016. Quote, The anthropologist Alexey Yurchak, in his 2005 book, Everything was forever until it was no more, the last Soviet generation, argues that during the final days of Russian communism, the Soviet system had been so successful at propagandizing itself, at restricting the consideration of possible alternatives, that no one within Russian society, be they politicians or journalists, academics or citizens, could conceive of anything but the status quo until it was far too late to avoid the collapse of the old order. The system was unsustainable. This was obvious to anyone waiting in line for bread or gasoline, to anyone fighting in Afghanistan or working in the halls of the Kremlin. But in official public life, such thoughts went unexpressed. The end of the Soviet Union was, among Russians, both unsurprising and unforeseen. Yurchak coined the term hypernormalization to describe this process. An entropic acceptance and false belief in a clearly broken polity and the myths that undergird it. Unquote. Now I don't know about you, but this seems to be speaking loudly and clearly to our present situation here in the UK and I'm sure in many other places in the world, if you happen to be dropping in and listening to this podcast. Of course, if I'm right about this, I cannot stop the main shock coming, even though, since 2007-2008, I have consistently tried to alert my own local community to what have always seemed to me to be warning foreshocks. Just browse through my blog if you want to find them. However, despite being unable to do anything about any coming main shock, I do feel able to conclude this piece by saying something positive, practical and hopeful, that I think can help all of us survive both four and main shocks. To do this, all I need do here is simply reread the second stanza of Walsh's poem, the relevance of which, in these hypernormal times, I hope you will now be able to hear more clearly and powerfully than before. When the great plates slip and the earth shivers and the floor is seen to lie in what you trusted most, look not to more solidity, to weighty slabs of concrete poured or strength of cantilevered beam to save the fractured order. Trust more the tensile strands of love that bend and stretch to hold you in the web of life that's often torn but always healing. There's your strength. The shifting plates, the rest of earth, your room, your precious life, they all proceed from love, the ground on which we walk together. And that brings us to the end of this edition of the Making Footprints Not Blueprints podcast. So, farewell for now, and remember, tomorrow a new walk is a new walk. See you on the path.